0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the BreastCancer.org podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Dori Klemanski. She's an adult nurse practitioner who is clinical director of survivorship at The Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, James Cancer Hospital, and Solove Research Institute. In this role, she helps identify the unmet needs of cancer survivors as well as late and long-term effects of treatment. She also oversees the creation of survivorship care plans to meet the long-term needs of survivors. Today, she joins us to talk about survivorship plans for people who've been treated for breast cancer. Dr. Klemanski, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. To start, um, I know in 2015, the American Cancer Society and the American Society for Clinical Oncology released uh, their guidelines for survivorship care for people who have been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I know not everybody necessarily knows what a survivorship care plan is. So could you explain what that is a little bit and why these plans are so important? So a survivorship care plan is actually comprised of two parts. One is
1: called the Treatment Summary, which is a record of all of the main cancer treatments they have. So it should list their surgeries, uh, chemotherapies, and any radiation treatments. And then the second part of the document uh, is essentially a roadmap of what's to come. It should cover things such as what to expect when you finish treatment. Uh, and those are sometimes called late and long-term effects. It should also cover uh, surveillance schedules. So it should list what tests you will get, uh, what who will actually order those, um, and the schedule that they should be on so the timeframe of how we actually order those and why they're important to us. And the other component that uh, happens a lot is health promotion and health maintenance, where we discuss Uh, common concerns of survivors, and we also review uh, healthy living recommendations and then provide resources to people who may need additional information after they have a care plan reviewed with them.
0: Okay. Now, before we go on, I know there is some controversy about the word survivor, and some people are not comfortable with that term. So I'm wondering... I know you see patients. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Like, it, what do you do if someone's very uncomfortable with that concept?
1: Sure, it it is a very personalized word. Sometimes survivor is implied that it's a, a past tense event, and many people sometimes say, well, I'm still living through it, or I'm still adjusting to the fact that I've had cancer. Uh, just like anything, no one group of individuals or cohort actually uh, adopt any phrase and feel that that actually reflects who they are. So we, um, while we use the word survivor and use uh, survivorship as a concept in um, cancer care, we do not expect patients to have to use that word as well. So what we usually try to, we try to reframe it and say, you don't have to like this word. Perhaps you like to be called a thriver or a warrior, or you don't want to be, have any term applied to you. We actually say what's more important is to embrace the concept and what we mean by survivorship, which is really driving towards having a great quality of life and having, um, being as well as you can be and living the life that You can after treatment. So even though things may be different How do we get the individual to feel that they are living their best life?
0: Okay. Okay. Thank you And to me just my interpretation of these plans It sounds like so people who have been treated for cancer may have higher risks of other things Uh, Say for example, somebody who's been treated with Receptin may need closer monitoring of heart function just because They've had that treatment and that treatment is known to potentially cause some heart problems. So it's kind of, as you said, helping people live their best life, but also sort of alerting them and their doctors on what to look out for. Is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. So
1: it is essential that we personalize each of these care plans. So while there are templates that guide us, you know, you mentioned the American Society of Clinical Oncology or ASCO earlier, and they do have a template that a lot of us use for the care plans. They really are meant to be individualized and personalized to the patient so that whenever we're discussing, you know, whatever treatments they got, we really do try to highlight what would be um, a a benefit or a risk to them uh, of how to proceed. And as you said, we do try to share these with their primary care physicians or even other providers that they may see so that they have an idea of what to expect afterwards. So even though the whole goal is to make them feel or actually get them to a place where they're um, living their best life, There, it is making them aware without scaring them of what could potentially be um, things to watch for. You know, uh, Patients are often their own best advocates and so it is it is our job to make sure that they have enough information about when to alert a provider if something changes or is different or to know that they may need closer monitoring because they were given a medication or a drug that could potentially hurt their heart. So it is very important. So a big part of survivorship is also coordination of care and trying to take some of that off of the patient and making sure that we as um, cancer providers connect back with their primary care um, teams and or other people. But it is also empowering the patient to feel like they are the survivor to feel like they have the information they need um, should anything arise in the future.
0: Now, I know it, it can seem overwhelming maybe to start creating one of these plans. What what is the best place for a person who's been treated to cancer, treated for cancer to start? is it Is it usually the oncology care team that sets up this kind of plan? Is it the general practitioner? Does the patient suggest it? How does that all happen?
1: Ideally, the oncology hospital or you know treating physician, whether it's in the community or you know in an academic center, the oncology team should be the primary point of um, initiation for these care plans. Um, Most of the time in the uh, cancer world, we understand and know what has gone on and we can able, we're we able to put it together in a really succinct chronologic order. Um, and then the idea is that we don't just give it to the patient in a written format, but that we would review it and discuss it with them over a visit. Sometimes these visits can be 30 minutes, sometimes they're 60 minutes, and it's really meant to help the patient kind of understand what we've written down and, and typed out for them um, and then for them to ask questions and to get clarification. And then the other piece that we do is that we send a copy to the primary care that's on file so that they also can see what we talked about with the patient. Another good thing that um, is in the care plan is it also does document the treatments that they had. So it can also be a reference point. So in the future... We don't always remember everything that's happened to us or every chemotherapy that a patient was given. So it's a nice record of care should they ever need to remember in the future. For instance, you mentioned before if they have heart trouble or something like that, to know, oh, I did get that medication, or for their doctor to know, oh, I did get that medication. So it really does need to start with the oncology team. But if a patient or a survivor have not received one, then I would always encourage them to ask um, their um, cancer doctor or cancer nurse practitioner or team to see if they are eligible for one and how they can go about getting one.
0: You mentioned a few things in there about uh, things that would be in a care plan, such as the record of treatment. Um, Are there any other specific things that go in there, Um, you know, is... is obviously, if someone has been treated for breast cancer, I'm assuming that there would be some type of screening, probably more aggressive than the one mammogram per year. Um, Are those kinds of things in there as well? Yes. So there are...
1: uh... I will try to provide the the highlights and so that we don't bog down everybody with the details. But essentially, yes, there is the record of care, which I talked about. We also will review any um, genetic variants that happen um, with um, testing because a lot of um, women with breast cancer will have a lot of genetic testing done. And so we will discuss those results and what they mean and, you know, and how often and what does that change for them. Another big portion of it is, um, as you mentioned, the surveillance testing. So it will talk about, how often you should get a mammogram, who is going to order it, is it the oncology team or the primary care um, team, uh, and then any other testing. So once somebody um, has had a cancer diagnosis, they can be at risk for a, a different type of cancer. So we will also review that with them and how they maintain surveillance for, or, you know, not surveillance, sorry, um, screening for other cancers, um, and then it will also reviews those late and long term effects. So a late effect is what we talked about earlier, which is when um, you're given a medication such as, you know, Dr. Rubison, for instance, and it may cause a problem with their heart. Well, that can happen years down the road. So that's a late effect, meaning it can happen much later. A long-term effect is something like neuropathy or the numbness and tingling that you can get pins and needles feeling um, in your extremities after a certain type of chemotherapy. That happens during treatment and can continue after you stop. that be a long-term complication. So we try to highlight those. We also try to um, review with uh, survivors what signs and symptoms they need to pay attention to should they start to notice something. If pain isn't going away or it's new or different, you should report that, um, those types of things. Um, And then the other big piece that we try to cover in there is um, how to live a healthy life. um, We review kind of everything from tobacco cessation to, you know, good nutrition practices to how to um, be safe in the sun. So we really do try to cover lots of different um, areas. And then, As I mentioned, we try to personalize it. So if someone is still, you know, thinking about starting a family or wanting to do more family planning, we can discuss that with them. Or if, you know, they want to discuss um, how to return to work or how to um, just integrate a walking plan into their life, we will cover all those aspects with them.
0: So I'm curious too, if somebody say they, I'll just stick with the, the heart effects thing. If someone was having heart effects because of treatment and they were seeing a cardiologist, Does the cardiologist also get a copy of this plan? I guess I'm wondering, like, if every single provider someone would see, so if they see a nutritionist, if they see a cardiologist, if they see, you know, a specialist for neuropathy, um, does the, the patient then have to make sure that she gets a copy of this plan to all her doctors? Or is that something that the oncology team does? Or how does that work?
1: So traditionally, um, we have not done that. We have essentially, and I'm talking nationally now when we talk about the model. The the idea is that it should be shared with the primary care provider. That doesn't mean that it shouldn't be shared with others, but I would say that that is probably not happening on a large scale across the country. Um, Certainly, we provide copies to, um, like paper copies, to the survivor, and then we will either you know send it through a fax or some sort of way through the electronic medical record. The advent of the electronic medical record has been very useful, though, because there are certain medical uh, record companies that will allow um, hospitals to sort of talk to each other through portals. And then the other thing that we are able to do at our institution, and I'm sure others are as well, is to share an electronic copy with the patient through whatever patient portal they use to access their their medical record so that there's always a copy in that app. Where it gets tricky sometimes, though, um, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole for electronic medical records, um, but is that a lot of institutions are not able to share that data. So this is still an an issue is that we're not able to share it with every provider that they have. Um, I would say right now most institutions are at least trying to send it to the primary care. It's probably a direction we should think about moving towards so that everybody's on the same page and talking about that coordination of care, which is a really big component of survivorship care. Um, but unfortunately, we're just not there yet.
0: So it sounds like it for that, that uh, a patient may still have to be her own advocate and sort of think about some of those things if there's a, a specialist or another provider that she is seeing regularly that she might want to share her her long term care plan.
1: Unfortunately, yes, uh, we do try very hard. Though there's a portion on the care plan that lists their their. Um main provider. So we'll it will review all of their oncology team, whether a surgeon, medical oncologist, radiation oncologist. But we also do try to put other providers in there. So we do try very hard to at least um, have a record of who they're seeing. Um, it's certainly something that we should think about in the future of doing so that we do take some of that burden
0: off the survivor. Um, but we're just not there yet. Well, that that's fair. That's good to know. Um, so how often should these plans be updated? I'm assuming it's somewhat individualized, but is there, you know, do you do an annual review with patients every two years? Um, how does that work? So that's interesting. It's actually
1: meant to be a one-time review. So we do not generally um, update the care plans. We can at a request of a patient, but institutions historically um, across the country are um, faced with providing this just one time. And there's a lot of logistics and barriers that are preventing us from doing it for every patient. Um, you know, That's certainly the metric and the goal is that every patient who is eligible for a care plan would actually receive one. Um, But that hasn't hit that market nationally, and so we are even struggling to make sure that patients get it one time, let alone repeated visits.
0: And that brings up another question for me. I've seen some research, some surveys suggesting that the survivorship care plans, the percentage of people who have them is much lower than the national cancer organizations would like. It's lower than their goals. In your experience, I know you work in the area, so it's your experience may be a little bit skewed, but do you think that the average person who's been diagnosed with cancer knows what a survivorship care plan is?
1: I would love to answer yes but I still think we have a long way to go to make sure that this is a standard part of care and that a survivor would know yes that is what I need at the end of treatment um you know even at our own institution we're we're meeting about 50% which is the national standard of where we're supposed to be at but it's still not a, it's still not the right metric we need to make sure that every patient is aware of it so um I think that there are Definitely strides that have been made in the last ten years since the care plans have sort of come into um, uh, form. You know, being being a part of you know cancer care, but we're still a long way from making it a standard part of care. It will happen. Unfortunately, it's just been a slower process than a lot of us thought it should be. In theory, giving someone a document and creating it sounds fairly simple to pull off, but it's been more complex for institutions to actually make it happen. And there's many reasons I can
0: go into if your audience is interested. Or maybe we do another podcast on that, because uh, it sounds like it might be very complicated. But uh, I'm wondering, are, I don't know, at the national level, are systems being put into place to increase those numbers or make people more aware so they can ask for it? Is it really done being more on an institution by institution basis?
1: So there's one um, major uh, accrediting body. So hospitals get different accreditations. And there's one through the uh, Commission on Cancer, which requires hospitals who are accredited members to provide these care plans to patients and survivors. Uh, Really, everything else is uh, best practice or a guideline or a suggestion that it be done. Um, Unfortunately, one of the challenges that we run into is that there you know when we actually studied this and looked at kind of some outcomes there there weren't anything that we could tie directly to a survivorship care plan that said oh well they have lower rates of depression or you know lower rates of cardiac uh, or heart problems that doesn't mean that it's not the right thing to do um, and that we shouldn't continue to do it and continue to look for reasons why it's important to deliver the care plans. Certainly survivors have told us anecdotally and as well as in lots of literature that it's incredibly important to them that they get this. They they feel that, you know, they're heard and that they, they have a roadmap. Um, so those are some of the challenges that make it difficult for these to happen. So it really has been up to institutions to develop their own plan, their own um, algorithms and frameworks and, and, and plans of how they're actually going to implement um, survivorship care plans in their own institutions. So it's, while there's national um, momentum behind getting this done, it's still at the kind
0: of institution level to make sure that it's getting done. That's good to know too. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit here. I'm thinking about somebody who's been diagnosed. Um, a woman who's been diagnosed with breast cancer at 35, to me anyway, it seems like she would have a very different survivorship care plan to a woman who was diagnosed at 70. Um, and I know you talked briefly earlier about um, family planning and things like that. Um, you know, are there other things that are unique to, say, a younger survivor versus an older survivor? Absolutely.
1: I mean, yes, family planning is an important part of it, but as I said, every care plan should be personalized to where that Person is in, in their life, their lifespan, their trajectory, their development, and so it is important to take into uh, consideration uh, not only physically what their age is, but kind of where they're at spiritually and mentally as well. And so there would be differences in family planning. There certainly could be genetic um, variations in um, what can be considered, uh, you know, different for what you're going to do for a 70-year-old versus a 35-year-old. Um, certainly, there are considerations when they think about what they're going to do for hormonal therapy based on age and where they're at um, with um, menopause and, um, you know, where they're at sort of in their um, menstrual cycles and things like that. Um, Other considerations certainly would, um, you know, factor in around, you know, um, uh, where they're at not just with family planning, but, you know, are they a young parent? How do they need, how do they navigate that? Um, are they back in school? Are they, you know, where are they in the the work cycle? Um, have they retired? Have they not retired? So, and then um, on the other spectrum, when you're thinking about um, someone who, it, you know, is menopausal and, you know, um, I I don't, think 70s, particularly old, but we called them older adults. And so I think it's important to think about um, kind of uh, other things that we think about, you know, bone health and making sure that they are, um, you know, uh, looking at all of their medications and making sure that they're safe and with polypharmacy and, um, you know, cognitive decline and things like that are all
0: important to think about when you when you're thinking about not just age as a number that's very helpful now i also want to talk a little bit about uh people who've been diagnosed with metastatic disease so they're surviving but they're also living with cancer um is it common for a person with metastatic disease to have a plan like this or is it more of a treatment plan that's what i wasn't sure about
1: it's more of a treatment plan. Uh, the When I mentioned earlier the accrediting body that came through uh, or that I mentioned with the Commission on Cancer, it's really geared to patients who are treated with curative intent, um, who are essentially stages zero through three, particularly in the breast cancer world, so DCIS through stage three. Stage fours have not traditionally been included, and it's not because they're not important to have this information. It's vital for them to have a lot of the similar information. It's just been the logistics and challenges of getting it done for those who have curative intent that I think that has been a, somewhat of a barrier to making sure patients who have metastatic disease um, don't receive the same Thing. So there is something through the um, through ASCO or the American Society of Clinical Oncology called a treatment plan where we can talk about some of these things and really think about it in the framework of kind of how are you doing it during treatment. Um, again, unfortunately, this is not a, a widely done um, process. I think institutions um, and cancer doctors and nurses are getting savvier and their patients are telling them that this is a very needed thing. And so it's been patient driven, which is... Um, an important advocacy point on their part, but it's making um, us more aware that this is still crucial information that they should have as well and to helping us rethink how do we do, how do we do this. But unfortunately, most things are driven by the standard, which is those who are treated with curative intent will receive a care plan.
0: That's good to know, but if somebody did have metastatic disease, they could, he or she could certainly ask for it. So um, that, again, going back to the patient being her own advocate, so... All right, now to to wrap up, if someone out there is listening and says, oh, wow, I don't have a survivorship care plan, what are there, are there, if you could offer maybe two or three steps or tips for how she would go about getting one?
1: absolutely. So the first thing would be to um have a good communication plan with their on with their cancer team. So most institutions are aware that they should be providing a survivorship care plan. So if someone does not have one, I would start there. I would start with their care team, their cancer care team and say, "Hi, you know, I heard about a survivorship care plan. Am I eligible to get one and how do I go about doing it?" If they Don't get anywhere with that. They can certainly, um, there's a a few sites online, so Journey Forward will allow a patient to create their own care plan based on information that they had. Um, Certainly, I would recommend that a provider or a cancer doctor or nurse practitioner help them with that, but if they feel like they really want one and there's more information then Journey Forward is a good place for them um, to start. And then um, the uh, cancer.net or the, you know, the American Society of Clinical Oncology has a really good um, website that patients can also navigate and kind of look at to see and um, get some good answers. And then finally, the National Cancer Institute always has really great um, information and they have um, booklets about how to talk to your doctor and kind of what, um, what to expect as a survivor. And so I would recommend those things to kind of get started, but the best place is to go straight to their cancer team.
0: Thank you. That's very helpful. And I, there was, I was going to finish up, but there was one thing in there that you said, if a person is eligible for a plan, what would, what makes someone eligible versus not eligible? I just want to be clear on that.
1: Sure. Um, Eligibility is really determined by that um, Commission on Cancer. And so what they have determined is somebody who is eligible would be somebody who finished treatment for curative intent, so they do not have metastatic disease, within six months of them finishing treatment. So that doesn't include hormonal treatment. That would just be when they finish their primary treatment, like surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy. So when they finish within six months, and if they've had stage zero or DCIS or even LCIS um, through um, stage three, then that's what would make them eligible. Um, it's not, uh, so essentially patients who are n- not metastatic uh, and then uh, are also have their um, cancer for the first time, so they're not, it's not a recurrence.
0: Help me understand, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this too. You said six months, so they, so surgery had to be six months or longer earlier, or or is it that patients only have a six month window of time to get the care plan?
1: Oh no, so it's really on us actually. That's really a metric for us to hit, is to make sure that within six months of finishing all of their treatments, so if they just had surgery, then we would do it six, you know, within six months of surgery, but if they've had all three, then it would be six months from the date of their last treatment for whatever it was. Um, so that's really a metric for us. It doesn't mean that patients can't go ask for one or get one. It's That really was meant for us that we should really be targeting people within the first six months because that's an important transition point where they really need this information about how to move forward and what they need to know and kind of what surveillance and testing they're going to get. So uh, um, I'm sorry if that wasn't clear. That That was more for us than for the patients.
0: No, that's fine. I just wanted to clarify. So if somebody say did finish treatment one or two years ago and does not have a survivorship plan, she could still go back to her oncology team and say, hey, I heard about these plans. I'd like to have one and move forward that way. Absolutely. Yes. It's just that that metric was meant more for us that we should be we, we should be targeting people
1: who just finished treatment. That's the entire intention behind the care plans.
0: Dr. Klemanski, thank you so much. I think this information is going to help a lot of our listeners, and I really appreciate your time.
1: Absolutely. It was my pleasure, and I am I'm grateful that um, survivors care and really want this information, and uh, I hope in the future that this becomes a standard part of care and they don't have to ask or advocate anymore on their behalf.